If you're looking to experience more pleasure in your life and a deeper level of connection with yourself and or your intimate partners in 2023, let's work together. Hello, I'm Stacey O, maitre d' of Finger Food Podcast and Holistic Sexuality Coach. You can apply to work with me by visiting my website, www.stacyogorman.com, or by clicking the link on this podcast bio. Welcome to Finger Food. I'm your maitre d', Stacey O, and I'm here to serve you intimate conversations around sexuality and pleasure. On the menu is a selection of heart-to-hearts with people who vulnerably share their stories, insights, and perspectives. This podcast is about sex and so much more. We explore connection, letting go of judgment, and accepting ourselves exactly as we are. Let's dine. In this episode, I chat to Gizzy Erskine. Gizzy is a London-based chef, TV personality, restaurateur, and award-winning food writer with six best-selling cookbooks. Aside from business, Gizzy has always been very outspoken with female issues and went on to co-host Sex, Lies, and DM Slides, which went on to be one of Spotify's biggest podcasts of the year. She is also an advocate for psilocybin and hosts dinners integrating both fine food and shrooms. Gizzy has been a mentor for me throughout my culinary career in London, and it's a deep honour to have her on the show. In this intimate conversation, we talk about pronouns for the older generations, sex lies and DM slides, sugar daddies, aphrodisiacs, shagging on shrooms, sex in your 40s, and societal pressures around kids and marriage. She shares her journey around finding sexy, stable love and so much more. It's great to have you here at the table. Let's get started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. 
Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome, Gizzy. It's such an honor to have you here on the show. I'm so stoked that you've come online with me. This You're my first international guest on finger food and so we've just been working out some technical difficulties this morning <laughs> but we've got there and <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's an honor to have you here technical meaning that I'm an absolute idiot when it comes to this stuff <laughs> ditto babe I'm like <laughs> absolutely technically challenged so there's two of us in that <laughs> party yeah, I'm really, really honoured to have you on the show. First and foremost, you have been such an inspiration for me and my culinary journey and my businesswoman journey. For those of you that don't know, I used to have a um, bakery business in London and how that began was on a TV show that I went on where Gizzy was the host of it. And she ended up sort of mentoring um, my business partner and I throughout the years. She wrote a quote in my cookbook. She came to speeches at my book launches. And yeah, it's just been a whirlwind journey. And so it feels really cool to have you on the show to just be talking about things outside of my past life bakery business. But it's quite weird how like our lives have sort of weirdly, weirdly synchronistically gone alongside each other after meeting. Yeah, it is. It's beautiful. I love it. Because I guess we've just dropped out one pleasure for another with the sex. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, it's only like I obviously like stalked you in order to be able to come on here because I, I've obviously been watching. I mean, like your career after we met exploded and in the culinary world almost superseded mine at one stage. So it's been really amazing watching you flourish. And then obviously I was when you moved back to New Zealand, I was like... Hang on a minute. Are we doing the same thing? And then I saw yes. the name Finger Food and I was like, how did I not think of that? I'm in a fury <laughs> about it. It's such a genius name. Why did I not think of it? So if I can't have it, I might as well be on it. <laughs> Absolutely. You be a part of it. I love that. It is a genius name. Actually, the name was inspired by, I was basically looking through a magnitude of Erica Lust pornos when like trying to think about oh, the right. name of it. <laughs> That was one. That was inspired by one. So, And it's so perfect. So let's just get straight into it, my babe. Where are you from and what's your family background? So I live in London, but my family are actually Scots. So I was born in London for literally about 10 days and then whisked up to Scotland to a place called Dumfries, a place called Kubrick, which is in like the borders of Scotland. But my family are kind of combination of Edinburgh and even a bit of Glasgow so it's kind of you know we are Scots as a general rule but then I moved back to London when I was like four or five and family background is quite weird I don't I never really feel comfortable talking about it but only because you know I've got a very privileged background like half of my family are aristocratic so weirdly I actually am titled but I don't use my title because we never had any money and I went to state school and we were just never really integrated into our world like in a way that you imagine the British aristocracy to I mean we lived in a 
you know, we were in extreme poverty when I was a teenager and I went to state school and it's never something I really sort of look at. But with that comes obviously some privileges where I can't sit there and go, I'm completely not from that world as well. It's weird. But, you know, I, I do feel like on a financial level where I got to, you know, with work and stuff, I, that was completely self-made. You know, I worked from the bottom up and I've had to hustle a lot to get what I want. Amazing. So was that your mum's side that was the aristocrat side or your dad's side? Sorry. My dad. Yeah. And I know I, I say when we were in Scotland, that was kind of my life. And then he was a photographer and also because he was a photographer, he had a, like a, a kind of more groundbreaking sort of non that way of thinking brain. Mm-hmm. And my mum came from sort of her mum was kind of this amazing woman who was quite a visionary. She was she went to Edinburgh Art School and she ended up becoming a Buddhist monk then learned all about communism and then ended up becoming a psychic. So she's kind of like a really radical person to like sort of, that kind of explains my family a bit more. My dad was a bit like that as well, because it's kind of like that creative bohemia, I suppose, where I was brought up in. Yeah. Amazing. And what are your pronouns and what do they mean to you? Um, I'm his and her. (laughs) Um, I'm, can I be completely honest? Because this is such a modernist thing. I mean, you're a lot younger than me, Stacey. Yeah. And I haven't, you know, this still is a, a fairly new thing for me to try and understand pronouns. I get it. I totally get it. But it still feels really weird and uncomfortable, like, that I have to acknowledge that side of things. Mm. I really, I, I mean, I know it's really important to loads of people mm. now. And it's opened up this huge world. But, but despite everything that I'm sure you're about to learn about me... I still struggle with it from my Mm. perspective, not from other people's weirdly, Mm. you know? I mean, I understand that there is a very big need for this, but I don't, because I've never had to. It's still very fresh and I'm still learning a lot about it. Totally. I'm really, I'm like really grateful for your honesty around that because I feel like so many people in the sort of like 30 plus boat feel exactly the same. And I think it is, it is a modern new I guess it's become more popular in the last, I would say, especially five years. For me in particular, I honestly didn't even really know what a pronoun was prior to that. And it's only recently I've understood the importance of it. And so I really value the fact that you've been honest about that because the the people I've been interviewing prior to this have all been kind of like Gen Zers and it's really good to get an insight into like how people feel about them. And yeah, just acknowledging you that that you're on that journey with, (laughs) you can totally see how other people would have, why they needed, but for you, it still feels like you're on a journey with it. Oh, completely. It's a subject that makes me feel thoroughly uncomfortable because I'm scared I'm going to get it completely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That's really it in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. I can resonate with that. And I guess it's only after talking to people from the queer community and the trans community that I understand like the real need for outside of my own, like, because I felt exactly the same. I was like, why is this necessary? And then in recent times, I'm like, okay, this is necessary. But like, there is a lot of like, yeah, conversations that we have to have around it in, in safer spaces. So we're not feeling like shamed or uncomfortable by not knowing about it or, you know, like I feel like there should be spaces where we are able to talk about it quite frankly, just as you've said. So you thank know, I you. think that that's exactly it. And I feel like that conversation happens, you know, 
between five to 10 years ago really quickly. And I don't feel like everyone caught on. And I still feel like there's a lot of catching up to do with if you are in my generation and beyond. But it's, you know, it's here to be taught. And I I wish the conversations were still happening, but they probably have superseded themselves now. (laughs) Well, my parents are just like, no, not interested. They're like, that's fucking stupid. And I'm like, okay, well, (laughs) I might not be able to change your mind about it, but that's okay, you know? (laughs) That's all right. And so I am interested, what is your sexual orientation in this moment? And what does it mean to you? I'm (laughs) straight-ish. So I think... I find women really fucking attractive, but I couldn't go out with a woman. But I could definitely sleep with one, if you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> I hear but again, you. Like, I don't want to generalise about that. And <laughs> that, weirdly, is something that generationally has has sort of, again, become completely not convoluted, actually very clear with a lot of people, which I love. I really mm. love that side of sexuality suddenly being... Uh, you know, people really knowing what they want and it being totally normal for people to sleep with everyone. I love it. Um, You know, because when I was younger, that was uh, more of a taboo situation. Whereas, you know, I remember when I was at school, it would kind of be radical if you snogged a girl. Whereas when like loads of my friends in their 30s, it would be quite normal to sleep with a girl. Now it's completely normal to sleep with, you know, whoever, whenever. I love that. Mm. I feel like we're in a really good position in life now. Yes, I love that. It's like a renaissance. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Amazing. And as well as being a world-renowned chef and author and businesswoman and just all-round Wonder Woman. I know you recently started your own podcast around sex and relationships called Sex, Lies and DM Slides, which is all about the dilemmas of modern love and dating. Can you tell me a little bit about the inspiration behind that and just a little bit about it? Yeah, well, I do it with one of my closest friends, a girl called Sydney Lima, and she's a model and writer. Like, Sid literally lived there like about a, a road away and I've got this counter here where I used to cook for her and we'd have a glass of wine and we ranted and we were both like going through weird relationships at the time and we just like constantly bang on about relationships and then before long we got into this conversation about people who kept sliding into our DMs this was way back I'm gonna say about four or five years ago and we were just like this is fucking insane and it was funny because sydney was getting offers for escort work through her social media whereas i was getting people like shoving dildos up their ass um and like it was just mate like literally the, the actual visual shot of that happening what? and uh she wasn't so i was getting dick pics and all of this where she was getting like these extreme sexual requests that were just like what the who the fuck are these people Um, Wow. The more we spoke to people, the more we realised that everybody had a story about this. Mm. And so we just decided to like delve into our sort of inverted commas. First of all, celebrity address book, just to see what everyone had to say about it. And before long, it became, it changed from that. uh, (laughs) So looking at people's DMs, whether it be about sexual DMs all the way through to abusive ones and, Mm. you know, really how this whole sort of scene was manoeuvring itself uh, with sex and love on the internet and how people operated on their dating apps and things like that. 
But then before long, we realised that there was a lot more to it. And we've got a bit sort of documented. There's a 26 parts episode. It's on Spotify. Mm. Um, it actually was one of the number one shows in the whole entire world when we, when it came out. Fuck yes. uh, it was amazing. We did so bloody well with it. Ah. And then it became sort of more documentary-led. And we were looking at people sort of... I don't know. We got to speak to some amazing people like Rose McGowan. So we spoke to her about mm. the Me Too movement. We spoke to Monroe Bergdorf about... Looking at trans issues, we were looking at, um, spoke to John Ronson about doing his podcast all about the prost- like prostitution. Ruby Wax talking about sex with psychopaths. It was really oh amazing. God, amazing. Like, we, got some, we got such good content and it really authentic. And I think at that mm. stage, the key thing that brought it all together was like looking at people abusing DMs. But it, we got so much really interesting stuff. And it really was funny because me and Sydney would just always challenge each other sort of about sex. And she's like a mini me, mm. but she's like 15 years younger than me. Yeah. Uh, I'm 30, well, not 34, I'm 43. <laughs> she's about 29 now. Yeah. But this was a few years back. And so we had this like different dichotomy of like different perceptions. So for example, those conversations about like gender conversations mm. and um, about sexuality and all of these things were really brought up and, we, we had these not opposing views necessarily, but con- like contradictory ideas about where we both stood within our age groups and stuff. It was really, and it was interesting. Mm. I learned so bloody much from it. Mm. Amazing. Amazing. And what was the most like, um, <laughs> like interesting takeaway from it in terms of the DM slides? Like, what did you learn? Gosh. There was a guy who got obsessed with the show and wanting to be featured, which was really funny. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we were, we were trying, like, to sort of semi-subliminally, semi-literally asking for it, get him to, like, sponsor the show and pay because he was, like, a sugar daddy. Um, okay, amazing. Really, you know, his offer was so poor that we were just like, uh, how do these girls do it? There's, there's girls literally living this, like, life that's better you know, it's financially better than like most people's through dinners. And we were both fucking hopeless at it. But we, what we're going to do next is we're going to look at this in, in a slightly more, like it's a documentary led space and like look at all, how all these people operate and, and go and actually open up an OnlyFans and do, go and work mm. in a vibrator factory and do all yes. of, do this stuff where it actually is a bit more head to head to head. <laughs> <laughs> This is so good. Fuck, this is good. Because I feel, I get a couple of DM slides here and there from sugar daddies being like, hey, do you want me to fund your life? And like, all you need to do is just send me a few messages here and there and I'll transfer you money. And honestly, I've got to be honest, like, I am like a student right now when I'm podcasting, which is not making me currently any money. And I'm like... Honestly, the thought crosses my mind where I'm like, wouldn't it just be easier if I just got a sugar daddy? And like, how does that work? And and there are parts of me that is like (laughs) alert to it. And I am intrigued as to like how it actually works. But then there's this also this part of me that's like, I don't know if I could fully step into that. It's a big commitment because ultimately (laughs) it's now, I mean, it depends on which level you take it to, but it's the beginnings of sex work. (laughs) So you want to be committed. Absolutely. You've got to be committed. Totally. (laughs) Even that alone is quite a sort of, 
complex space to be in because you know mm. is it sex work or is it not sex work and is it you know we, we spent the whole show just I mean I still don't feel like we concluded that much stuff because it's it brings up so many questions of about from like wanting to be going out and like supporting women in sex work or anyone but women men trans people yes. in sex work all the way through to like wanting to suddenly be like girls stop it because this is fucking just like you know totally the aggressor of the whole situation where yeah with abuse in, in in the system as well so we were like one day we'd be like right we're really pro this the next minute we'd be like no so, <laughs> yes. well that's the thing it's like there is this part of us that I feel as if has been obviously like our sensuality and our pleasure and our sexuality that that has been sort of repressed by the patriarchy and then what you're saying around like that being exactly what we've been standing against with women's right, rights for like centuries now and then there's this part of me that's like fuck it like <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe I just get a fucking sugar daddy life would be so much easier <laughs> Well, yeah, I don't know, and it bloody would. You know, people are literally, and also more for more for them is the other thing. It's like you want to play to have a fucking conversation with me and maybe show you my tits every so often. I'm fine with that, but then it's like you know, I do have friends who've had a fucking abysmal time with it and they've yeah. been abused. But then that is just what the fucking you know the line of this whole subject, isn't it? You know, yeah. if you, some people can handle it and they're, they're in a good position and they're people who take advantage yeah. and abuse a situation. Totally. Good point to wrap that up, actually. <laughs> For my brain, personally. So I was going off yeah, into the world of what would my life look like with the sugar daddy? Um, <laughs> okay, so I'd like to know, obviously, like for my own personal experience dating in my early 20s versus then I was obviously married for the majority of my 20s and then dating in my 30s has been like very vastly different. I'm interested to know, I guess, your experiences or perception on the differences between dating in your 20s versus your 30s versus your 40s. So 20s, I was naive as fuck, but I also had the most stable relationship of my entire life. The most, you know, I had two to three, like, you know, when I was a teenager, I started dating somebody for five years. And then by the time I was 25, I dated someone for 10 years. Mm. And it was like beautifully naive, and, but beautifully stable. And we had, we had a really great connection and it lasted. That mm. my 30s was a fucking shit show, if I'm honest, because I got out of that. And, you know, I was never promiscuous when I was young. And I really regret that. It's mm. one of my biggest regrets. And that is one of the things where I think... We talk about, it's not even a bloody modernist thing. It was actually, this was me being a fucking prude, if I'm completely honest, mm -hmm. and really believing actually that my power was in not sleeping with people. And it was, because I could make people fall in love with me very mm. easily. Mm. And that was my superpower, but it wasn't, because it held me back. And I didn't fuck enough, if I'm completely honest. Ugh, so, um, and I really am regretful of that, you know. And then by the time I hit 30 and got out of this relationship... I made such a huge mistake, cataclysmic mistake by having an affair to get out of one relationship that I ended up tarring me. And then something awful happened to me, which I really won't go into, but I had a really awful abuse situation where it changed everything for me and how I allowed myself to be treated, which was after that very badly. Hmm. And, you know, I think that at that point, you know, 
the rest of my 30s. So I got out of this relationship when I was about 35 and into another one, which was actually momentarily good. And then out of that relationship, then I sort of start, started self-flagellating quite a bit. And it was only until, if I'm honest, the beginning of last year that I really fucking was like, this has got to stop, you know? Mm. And now my 40s has been a much better place for dating, but I want love. I'm like a sucker for fucking love. And... Mm. I can tell within two minutes of meeting someone if they're if that's right for me. I know, like yeah. straight away. So I've sort of been quite militant and not because I want to settle down, by the way. I think I'm what's lucky about me is I don't I've hit 40 and I don't want kids, or I don't necessarily want kids. I don't mm. know if I want kids actually. Mm. But I don't it's not that yearning that's gonna make me want to settle down for whatever reason. Mm. For the wrong reasons, shall we say. And I've never wanted to be married and I don't, you know, I want a partnership and I really want true love. Like I'm like, you know, there is no point me even venturing into anything unless it's holds that kind of value. But the one good thing is that I've learned that I don't have to make everyone fall in love with me in order to know and acknowledge that. I don't, because what happens is I, I used to use that skill and then have all these men running around like wanting to offer me these relationships and I'd be like oh now I've got that I don't know mm. if I want that and I'd have all these mm. like I'd be, I was a bit of it's a dick move it wasn't cool and it was mm. really actually bad behavior and really unthoughtful uh, of a lot of these people's lives you know and I found myself really having to face up to the fact that I was fucking ruining people's lives actually mm. whereas I now yeah I think I'm trying I'm sort of feel like I'm getting out of that situation where I'm really trying to be very honest with myself about what I'm allowing in versus knowing that I'm not gonna I don't really want to waste time on people does that make sense totally it makes perfect sense I actually just found so much juiciness in what you've just shared like firstly to the point of like being in like just getting caught up in those relationships in your 20s and then in your 30s being an absolute shit show (laughs) in terms of relating and then noticing that like there would be lots of people in your field in terms of like you had this gift of attracting people into your life but actually like you wouldn't necessarily be into them you knew actually that they weren't like on the level of like what you were truly looking for in terms of true love and then it feels like now you're in your 40s and you're actually like at the stage where you've had all this life experience and you've like had all these like encounters, good and bad, it sounds. And it feels like you're at a point now where like there's like this deep wisdom of knowing like actually what you really want for yourself and that you're not yeah. really willing to settle oh, for anything less. What I want actually less. is a stable love. Mm. Oh, yes. I really just want a stable love where, I, where I'm actually really sexually attracted to that person, mm. <laughs> which, which unfortunately doesn't seem to, has up to this point gone hand in hand. I tend to pick the, the ones, I don't think this is quite normal, who aren't necessarily bad for me, but take advantage of the fact that I'm this enormous giving creature mm. and uh, don't often offer me the same thing back, you know? Mm. Um, yes. But I think I, I think I'm managing to work it out now. I do think so. I don't want to say I've got it sorted because I certainly haven't. <laughs> Neither but I definitely think I'm on my way there. <laughs> yes. 
yes <laughs> a stable love that is also fucking hot and sexy yes to that and I can so yeah. I can so resonate with that of like being in a stable love relationship but also not having any sex in that stable re- love relationship initially and yeah. then going pendulum swinging yeah. to just like full-blown like sex as being the pedestal of like the whole scenario and then that being too well exactly and that's all you could that's actually the the only thing that's important that's good in that relationship totally I've been in a few of those yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then kind of coming back to the center and being like actually what I'm really calling is and is like a sexy stable relationship I'm so into that yeah sexy stable relationship (laughs) fuck yeah yes this episode has been made with the support of daily rituals Those that know me well know that I do not mind a ritual. Whether it be my daily skincare routine, a tea ceremony, journaling, dancing, stretching, meditating, or self-pleasuring in my room, I'm here for it all. As you can imagine, I was so excited to discover daily rituals. They have curated the best wellness and lifestyle brands from New Zealand and afar. Not only do they stock my favorite skincare, vitamins, sex toys, yoga essentials, and so much more, but they've created a community of trust. People can find all their daily needs knowing they are ethical, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Daily rituals are here to aid the movement of mindful shopping and build a destination that makes doing so as easy and enjoyable as possible. Think Amazon, but with a conscience. And I also love what you were saying around this knowing that like you've known that you don't want to get married and actually that you don't have this like the deepest desire to have kids. Who knows what will happen? But like just that knowing, I feel like, I don't know, especially where I'm from in New Zealand, it's like really unheard of to not have babies and settle down. It's quite like a small town mindset. Do you find... Do you have kids? I can't remember. No, no kids. No kids. You're the same. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I feel like I would like them. And I also feel like quite trusting of the fact that if I'm meant to have them, I'll have them. So I don't feel an enormous amount of pressure. However... I'm really interested in like within my own body, I feel like there's time and I feel quite spacious around it. But then when I get in my head around like society's views around like when I should be having kids by and everyone's projections on on that, that's when I get into a mindset of like, oh my God, I'm, I'm not doing it fast enough. And, and it's really inspiring and beautiful to hear you talk about that in a way that's like, I don't know if I want to have kids and I don't want to get married. And I'm like, yes. And I feel like that was a lot more the mindset and mentality. There was a lot more freedom around it when I was living in London. And now I feel like I've been like <laughs> put back in this box of small town right. New Zealand. <laughs> so the idea that it's real though. I mean, I think even in London, you know, like I weirdly, I don't know what's happened. I don't know if it's like a defense armor that I've built up. I don't think it is though, mm. but all of my girlfriends who are my age, you know, because I'm fucking living this extraordinarily lucky space where, you know, I'm able to be fully independent. Mm. I earn good money. I do the, my dream job. Mm. I love the hustle. Like, I'm out able to, you know, finally hold down relationships with both my family, friends and lovers and, you know, be in love. Like, I'm in love at the moment and, mm. you know, 
I do have that scared space of saying it out loud. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, maybe if I say it out loud, it's not going to work. <laughs> yes. um, but, you know, I, I have all of these things, but I'm also, I don't know why. Like, I'm so lucky because my girlfriends do feel like this. And I, and I think they feel like it, not necessarily entirely because of societal structure, but it, there is an internal yearning for, in women, you mm. know? I would pretend it's never happened, mm. but I've, I've been able to silence it because what's more important to me is my lifestyle mm. and actually finding a man I can trust because I don't want to do it alone. Mm. I might have to at some stage, but I don't want it enough to do this alone. And this world is not enticing enough for me to mm. for me to want to bring a child into it alone or just at the moment it has to come from a solid structure because we didn't or I didn't you know so I I, I know that that's the thing that I feel really important is important in my if I was going to do it yes oh fuck yes to that I feel exactly the same I feel exactly the same I mm. feel like there's a my longing to be in a sexy, secure, safe <laughs> relationship yeah. versus having kids is stronger. And I would only want it to come from that space of being like in a relationship that I feel like I can truly thrive in. And then a child is brought into that rather than yeah. coming from a space of, oh, okay, I just want to get with whoever's available so that I can have kids as soon as possible. And, and there's nothing just wrong with that because I also feel like a lot of women do have such a deep, deep, deep yearning for for children that that trumps mm. everything. Whereas, yeah, I like what oh, you're saying and can resonate w- with what you're saying around the relationship being the priority. It becomes completely irrational. I mean, our girls around me, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you're declaring that the most important thing to you is to have a husband and a child, but you're the most beautiful, intelligent, yeah. talented person I've ever seen. And this is now your priority. And I, I find it hard to empathise, which is probably quite a weird space, actually. Mm. I think for most people, most women, they can probably empathise a bit. I find it hard to empathise with that. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. I love that honesty. <laughs> I love that honesty. <laughs> I was just talking to my friend this morning about, like, nature versus nurture. And, yeah, it is an interesting one around, like, the primal feeling of wanting to have kids, which I've definitely experienced before, and also what is conditioning and like what has been bestowed upon us yeah. to believe is the right yeah. way for women to live their lives I do think that there's more people that are being honest about not wanting them now and I think yeah. it's okay whereas before you would have been I mean if, I mean even us having this question I suppose the, the conversation is a bit like it but there are definitely there are even men are accepting of the fact that some women just come to the point where they don't want it and it's fine you know yeah. you don't even need to ask the question as to why Yeah, totally. And I think that that's definitely moved on a bit. Yes. Fuck yes. Nobody, I used to, when even in interviews, I mean, maybe it's just because I've been militant about saying, what the fuck are you doing? Don't, you don't ask someone like that. You know, you don't ask guys, don't ask me. Like, first of all, it's none of your business. And two, I just don't think it's an appropriate question to like, just put that to me just because I'm a woman in my 40s. Totally. Someone asked me on a food styling shoot the other day. They were like, so Stacey, have you just decided not to have children or um, do you want them but you just haven't um, (laughs) met the right person? And I just thought, (laughs) okay, we're going there. (laughs) It's like, it's like, it's fucking rude, actually. It is. There's no getting away from it. It's, it's hot. But also, do you know what the problem is as well? 
often it comes from a place of just not knowing what else to say. Yeah. And I think some people are just like that. It's just not that kind of evolved (laughs) to know that this is maybe just not an appropriate thing. Yeah, yeah. Or just completely outside of their belief system, you know? It's like they can't quite possibly fathom it because they don't understand that people think Mm. differently. Yeah, people are bringing kids into the world where they shouldn't be. I don't know. There are some fucking terrible parents out there, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Nobody questions that, you know? (laughs) Totally. Amazing. So... Next question. (laughs) Food and sex, also two of my deepest passions. How have you found merging the two worlds? Obviously, you're a restaurateur and, you know, cookbook author and all the things, and then now you're doing the podcast. How have you found the, I guess, merging the worlds and how that's been perceived in the world and how that's felt for you? I mean, I don't know about you, but food, if you're involved in food and you're really into it, Mm -hmm. It's fucking sexual. Like, there's no... Yeah. I mean, the way I eat is revolting. Like, by most people, it would be, like, probably pornographic. I <laughs> I love things to the point where I cover them in it and I'm sucking my fingers and I'm, you know, it's it's a sort of pretty animalistic experience watching yes. me. Yes. You know, I, like, can see the prey and I'll, like, go in. I just feel, like, because of that and... You know, if I'm red blooded, you know, all the things, you know, the things I love to eat, I love oysters, I love red meat, I love chocolate, I love all of the cliched things, which, you know, I love all the fatty stuff, mm. I love pasta, I love, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I love it all. And yes. I love it all with such a great passion that it immediately, like I said, it becomes quite an animalistic experience. That mm. is why, how I compare the two things together. Mm. With regards to my career and doing it, like this was a complete um, abandonment of the food world. I was just entirely talking about sex uh, and relationships. It wasn't really how food, I don't even think, I think we, we, I interviewed one person who was in the food industry. Yeah. And she was more of a friend anyway. So it was like, I don't think we even crossed that conversational path that much. Mm, mm. But it does, you know. I mean, like I said, you know, you're, what you're doing in itself is kind mm. of a great, you know, there's a brilliant book. I don't know if you've heard of it, and it's called Rude Food. No, I haven't. It's from the seventies. You've got to get a copy of it. Write it down and get yourself a copy. It's fucking amazing. David Thorpe, can you see it? Yes, I see is it. The it? book is in front of the screen. So Rude food. Wrote this book. It's, it's, it's this art book, which is you know, I don't know. Can you see that? Oh my god, amazing! Oh my god, that's it's, where that image is from. <gasps> I've reposted yeah, that image that before. Image I'm obsessed from. with that. <gasps> the sort of dominatrix pasta shot, and oh. um, it's just so fucking sexy. The whole thing. Like, oh my that. god, that's just a salad on someone's pussy. Oh my it's god, great. <laughs> Oh my god, this is my favourite. This is this is obscene. Oh, I can't see. Can you see that? No, bring it back a little bit. Oh, it's basically someone fingering a fish mousse, which looks like a a pussy. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, Oh my god! I love the concept of that, where it's like looking at how we, you know, how we animalistically eat food, Mm. but we also eat. So I, I just kind of loved the idea of those two things sort of like sitting well together. And it's just, you know, historically, you know, you look at aphrodisiacs, which I fucking love the idea of all of those things as well. The two things go hand in hand. There's no question. Mm. And what have you found to be um, the most like 
heightened aphrodisiac food that you've encountered, ingested? Alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes. I don't know. Like I do, I, you know, I do believe in the sort of oysters. I love um, the idea of eating something which is raw and still alive. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, aphrodisiacs in places like Korea. When I, when I went out to Korea and did that TV show out there, mm. I mean, everything's about an aphrodi- aphrodisiac or making you more fertile or, mm. you know, there's a lot of foods out there that, that, I mean, this is a belief system, which I just think, you know, we, we sort of, look away from in, in Western culture, which I Chinese medicine has it as well. It's, you know, a lot of Asian countries have have this idea that you eat things to for potency, mm. for sexual potency. And I just think, there. Yeah. I mean, me, myself, what do I feel like? I love oysters. I love clams, mm. all of those things, because they do, they are sexual. They do look like fannies. <laughs> <laughs> that was really cute how you just said fannies. <laughs> <laughs> is that an English thing? Do you call? No, you I've been calling. No, I think it maybe it's like a yeah. I've been calling them fanny since I was little. Bit. The way you said it was real cute. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing! I love this. Ah, oh, I fucking love oysters with all of my heart, and I love what you were saying oh, around like Asian cultures, sort of yeah, heroing foods that are like enlivening of their sex center. I think that's just Ooh. like, why the fuck not? You know, I mean, like, I'll tell you what is really good. I mean, I love magic mushrooms and um, I love all mushrooms actually. And I love, mm. I love the whole sort of idea that we need to be in touch with the mycelium network and mm. get grounded and all of those things. And I do feel like whenever I take mushrooms or if I'm eating something which has been cut sort of pretty directly out of the ground, mm. it does actually make me horny. Mm. Yes, fuck yes. <laughs> you know, you can always guarantee that I want to shag on, on shrooms. So. <laughs> shag on shrooms. Fuck yes, I love that. God. Oh my God. I recently had the most opposite experience of being on shrooms where I absolutely, really? yeah, I had a really bad experience on them. And the last thing I wanted to do whilst oh in no. that state was shag. So I'm, yeah, just envious of <laughs> your experiences of feeling horny <laughs> while on shrooms. I put too much pressure on the mushrooms, I think. I took them like ceremonial, ceremonially rather than like just ha- having like a good time and having some drinks and taking some shrooms. Yeah, I, like, I mean, that's, that's it is the big problem. As soon as I learned to take them in the day with no bo- booze or no other drugs, I was like, then you fucking really unveil all of their brilliance yeah. and, you know, yeah, they've been, they've been an amazing, amazing tool for me mm. for so many things. For you know, all of the sort of what we're starting to learn now about you know uh, anxiety and depression, and I have ADHD, so they really help with that. Amazing. You know, I'm, I macrodose every few weeks, and it really does. You know, we talk about stability. I'm really seeing a stabilizing sort of response from doing them the way I'm doing them because I'm doing them the right way. Mm. Oh, I love that so much. My sister does the same thing. And I feel like they're such an incredible alternative for a lot of people in the realms of, yeah, yeah, healing, anxiety, depression. Yeah. And also addiction. That's so cool, Gizzy. And you were saying that you're going to do a, you're potentially. Yeah. So I've hopefully just had a commission on a TV show, ah! which is sort of 
about the um, psychedelic eating experience and uh, challenging the senses through eating. So it will be looking at all of these things, you know. Amazing. Actually, I haven't even thought about sex and mushrooms in the show, but we should definitely include that, actually, because it really is a thing. Yes. Amazing. And you were saying that in this stage you're feeling like you're in love and you're in a relationship currently. Yeah, I bloody hate him right now. We've had a huge fight, but I, I do love him really. It's <laughs> <laughs> hate love. How do you feel about, yeah, sex and relationships and pleasure at this stage in your life with yourself and with your partner? Oh, I mean, like hitting your 40s. You think your 30s are good. You wait till you hit your 40s oh and you really grow into yourself. And you know, first of all, I've, this is a weird thing and I can't this is really kind of maybe too gross for a podcast <laughs> there's this thing that I feel like every year there's an alignment that goes on between my insides and my pussy basically and um you become more aware of it every year you sort of grow older and by the time you hit your 40s I totally know how to to manage myself, shall we say, in every, you know, sexually. And I just I just feel yes. like those things that you used to do when you were a kid, which was almost be more pleasing people rather than mm. really looking after yourself, you just stop mm. and you become totally aware of how to pleasure yourself, shall we say, and even mm. if you're pleasuring someone else. That just gets better and better and better as I get older. So, yeah, I feel, I feel like, if anything, it, it really gets better. And, <sighs> yeah. yeah, I don't know where it's going to stop. <laughs> This makes me so excited. It's exactly what I wanted to hear. It is exactly what I wanted to hear. But you really, it is a psychological thing too. There's something you have to break through as well, which takes, you know, I mean, obviously if people, we now know that people are healing from so many different things. Weirdly, again, I don't know if this is some weird part that makes me quite different because I know a lot of people with their traumas and things like that sort of hit this point where they find it hard to break through some things. But that was weirdly quite a healing thing for me as well, understanding how to come, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, massively. I really got a grip of it, so to speak, <laughs> um, <laughs> from from the age of about 35. And after that, really, the world was my oyster. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, it makes perfect sense that you would be having the best sex of your life with yourself and with others and in terms of the level of how much you know your body because you have, you know, had all the life experience and, as you say, gone through the shit and, you know, gone through some healing around that and got to know your body and yourself more and more and it's like the levels of fucks given are less and so you're just like, whoa, this is my body and why not and, like, life's short and let's go, you know? Yeah. I mean, my mum always said I was like extremely sexual anyway. She was just like, you would be seven year old, seven years old watching the Muppets with your hands down your pants. <laughs> <laughs> and she's just like, you know how little boys do it? She's like, I've never seen a little girl do that before. Oh my God. Amazing. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and also really interesting. We talk about, from considering the conversation we started with, my mum was like, there was this time when you've got been like three or four years old and you turned around to me and you were like, I had a dream, weird, very weird. There's always about big furry creatures. But I had a dream that um, I, was, I was in the Fraggles and um, they'd taken me and put them on Fraggle Rock and chopped my willy off. And I told my mum this 
And she was just like, oh what the fuck are you on about? <laughs> like, how do you even know what a willy is? Like, you've never seen one. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, my God. But, you know, so she was like, you're going to be trans. But I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, so it's like amazing. you're naturally highly sexual from a very fucking young age and, and masturbating like publicly, which is great. And she I tells everyone that. who wants to hear it. I love that. I love that. What was her reaction when you had your hands down your pants watching the Muppets? Was she like, stop it? Or was she like, get it, girl? Be, I, I think she was actually pretty cool about it. Nice. Because it wasn't, she didn't humiliate me. She'd just be like, well, she humiliated me when I was a teenager by telling everyone. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but she didn't really humiliate me at the time. I don't really remember. I think she was. She must have been pretty cool. My mum's yeah. my mum's bohemian was fuck. So she, mm. she was. All, we always chatted about sex. We always walked around the house naked, and mm. like everyone was in tune with their bodies. So oh. and we still like we're still like that as a family. Oh, yeah, that's really interesting to hear as well. That that you feel like you have always been a real sexual person and that there's been like a real allowance of you to be able to be in, or like an acceptance of you to be in that space yeah. in your body since the ripe old age of seven, yeah. putting your hands down your pants, watching the Muppets. <laughs> well, I remember reading something which was fascinating and I hadn't ever contemplated it, which I think you probably have in your generation where we learned about periods and we didn't learn about masturbation like boys, you know, and yeah. when boys were talking about wanking, we were like, what the fuck? We can't talk about that stuff. Totally. And now we do, you know. But, you know, is that with age or is that a cultural thing? Like, I can't, I don't know where that whole story comes from. And it, and it's kind of great that we, we're we in that position where everybody does talk about it. But it, if I really hope that my niece, for example, like any young woman gets to learn about the pleasures of sex at a fucking young age, because we mm. all, we are all too committed to the act of it, as opposed to really getting what we want and getting our kicks of it when we're young. Mm. Oh my god, amen to that. And I feel like it's it's almost my generation as well. I was the same. We learned about periods. We didn't learn mm. about masturbation. That was for boys, and it was very much goal orientated. Sex was was what we were to discuss, and it was like use a condom, here's a tampon, off you pop. <laughs> And it was very much yeah, taboo exactly. to talk about fingering yourself with your friends, you know, like self-pleasuring with your friend. Like yeah. for me, amongst my friends, it was like, oh, you do that kind of thing. And I just, there was a shame around it from a really young age. Did you actually try to have that conversation? There would definitely be people that would like bring it up into the conversation and then it would be like, oh, like shut down when I was younger for sure. And I always had a bit of a fear around it. Oh, wow. I don't even remember anyone even trying the conversation. Yeah, like, okay. So maybe that's uh, the generation. Seeing, wanking on telly or in, in films and being like, ah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. I think it's definitely changing now in terms of, I don't know, just what's out there in terms of like, I don't know, even like on Netflix, we've got sex education and yeah. it feels like there's, you know, loads of books out there that are like New York Times bestsellers, like come as you are and like there's things that are yeah. science has evolved and we're kind of being brought up to speed with it and there are like initiatives and programs that have been brought into schools that are educating kids around more than just anatomy-based sexuality there's you know there's consent and yeah. there's boundaries and there's um I don't know if we're quite there yet yeah. with pleasure I'm not sure around that because I think that's equally as important with what that's you're saying true. around that that is true because I mean I mean even even the idea like 
I'm so fine with it in a normal conversation, but at the back of my mind, I'm publicly going, oh, fuck, I'm talking about pleasuring myself publicly. I've not really done that before. And is that a boundary too far? But, you know, mm. it's fucking real. And we, we all bloody do it. We all bloody do it. Should, so. <laughs> exactly. And if we're not doing it, we should be doing it <laughs> because it's yeah, fucking exactly. great for our health. <laughs> Exactly. Well, it just fucking feels great, yeah. like, ultimately. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, yes, Gizzy. Oh, my God, I'm so lit up by this conversation. All right. I'm going to ask you two more questions. The first one being, with all the wisdom that you have now, based on your life experience, based on your sexual experiences and relationships, what might you tell your younger self? This is the heart. I really hate this question. Mm. Not not that many people ask it, but I always see it and think, God, what would I do and say? Mm. The reality is, is that when you're really young, it's like care less about everyone else. You know, you really, you really need to like focus in on yourself and what you, and what you, you need and your requirements while being considerate about everyone else. I think Mm. that would be my advice because I'm really not up for the new culture of you do you I fucking hate that yeah it's like we all have to look after each other mm, you know psychologically yes. we all need help at, at some stage so the, the shutdown of this modern psychology and this internet psychology drives me fucking nuts but to be nourished and to be nu- able to be nourishing you do need to be able to like understand that a lot of these things that you care about don't really matter but also, oh God, it's a cliche, but be yourself. Like, I I don't know how to not be myself. And it served me very well being myself. Mm. It hasn't at times, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm a fucking nightmare. And I, <laughs> and I know that my imposition on people being myself is a fucking nightmare. But I also know that I'm probably able to achieve what I want because I don't have that ability to completely, like, stranglehold myself into because of what other people will will want out of me, you know? Mm. You know, I'd learned very young in my industry, for example, that you just, being a creative, that you have to have your own thing because, you know, your natural instincts of of your creativity are what's important um, and what are going to define you as an individual in your creativity. Whereas you see so many people who aren't really creative, but like ripping people off. Mm. You know, know your influences and respect Mm. those influences, but find your own fucking ship to sail, you know? Mm. I really feel like that's a key factor, but that's not so much about sexuality. That's just about like finding confidence and finding your, your yourself and your uniqueness. And that can that grows into sexuality as well. Totally. I love that that grows into sexuality because it's so true. It's like what we're taught about sex is not necessarily what feels good in your personal experience mm. or your body, you know. It's like yeah. discovering that for yourself as well. That was really beautiful yeah. and really insightful. I really, I loved those. Thank you, Gizzy. And final question. I would say most important question of the day. What is your favorite finger food? Do you know what I love fingering? <laughs> I love fingering the bottom of the gravy pot. I love umami. I love pure umami yes. and I can drink gravy. But like when I'm making roast chicken and I've poured out the gravy, I'm revolting. I really am like a handsy cook and behind oh. the scenes, not professionally. And if I'm cooking at home, I'm that disgusting where I'll use my fingers to wipe out the 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 pan and pour oh. the gravy into the gravy jug, and I'm like, 
my favorite thing ripping Fuck off chicken yes. skin and fingering the gravy ah! <laughs> oh my god i'm as filthy as you i'm as filthy as you i do exactly yeah. the same thing and i fucking love that finger food yes to that yep. <laughs> <laughs> so into that amazing ah oh! All right, my lovely one. Well, this oh, has been this has been really oh, insightful. Thank you so much for your time and your energy and your insights and your wisdom and your vulnerability and just yeah. for being you. And um, yeah, I just feel so like juicy by hearing all your stories and your insights. Hey. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's so nice to see you. It's so nice to see you doing so well. I'm like always rooted for you. And I just love, I love watching you oh. from afar. Roll a baby, baby a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, babe. Thanks for dining with Finger Food. If you liked this conversation, you can tip your maitre d' by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing this podcast with your friends. If you want to find more of my podcasts, go to stacyogorman.com. Stay safe, stay sexy. See you soon. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.